Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Morning Devotion. I'm thankful each of you is here. You, you are the one that make this time so meaningful, so special. So Jane and Deborah and Eve and Dee, thank you. Thank you for joining with us each and every weekday morning, Monday through Friday. And lo and behold, we're still in pandemic season. We are still in political upheavals. And yet this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. This day, this day, Thursday, November the 5, in the year of our Lord 2020, welcome to the Velvet Revolution. What a what a thought today. What a thought for a church living at such crucial times. So I thank you for being a part of this. I do invite you. I invite you, David and Marianne and Jean and April and Lisa, I invite you to share this, share this with others. Let's grow this this group of faith, this group that gathers together, encourages one another, prays for one another. It's a group that... um, spans the globe and you are you are making a difference you're making a difference in each other's lives but also in the lives of many many people that each of us who's a part of this that we influence on a day by day basis so i do i do roll out the red carpet today and I, I want you to feel at home here on this thursday november 5 2020 welcome I welcome you to the Velvet Revolution. You remember that old song we once sang, lift up your voice and sing for joy. Oh, yeah. Clap your hands, make a joyful noise, blow the trumpet and shout. We're praising for the victory. Then we sang this. The weapons we used are not bombs and guns. Worship is the way the battle is won. This is the way we fight, praising for the victory. It's anchored in a verse of scripture that our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Can I get a witness to that? In a day when people are burning, rioting, looting, breaking, stealing, killing, that's not how we fight. We fight right. Welcome to the Velvet Revolution. What does that mean? What does that have to do with the day in which we live. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I believe it will edify you and it will strengthen you. We are in the midst of a difficult time here in America. I acknowledge that some of you watching this are not in this country. And we spent an awful lot of time on it the past few days. But I do think it's needful because I'm speaking to fellow believers in this area. 
people who have for their entire lifetimes devoted themselves to building, raising up godly generations, getting the gospel out, sending missionaries around the world, ministering to the hurting, doing good deeds and making a difference, being salt and light to their earth. But what we have felt is that the world has shifted. It's changed. Can I give you a quote uh, from Ephraim Radner? He's an Anglican theologian. He wrote, there is no safe place in the world or in our churches within which to be a Christian. It's a new epic. No safe place to be a Christian. If America, or a so-called Christian nation, isn't safe, isn't a safe place to be a Christian, then where is? I, I, I believe that the turn began a, a years back. America took a secular turn. Give me just a moment to describe this. You see, when in the secular world, progress becomes deity and progressivism becomes a religion. Secularism was born. Secular worship is intolerant of differing viewpoints. You will toe the line. You will do what the bosses order. And by bosses, I mean the influencers in this world, whatever sphere, education, media, government, economy. Nothing gets in the way of progress because progressivism is their religion. You do that, if you don't get in their way, you, uh, you, you'll be okay. But if you get in their way, you're going to be marginalized. Or as we've seen in the past, beyond the Iron Curtain, you're going to be persecuted. I'm not sure we realize how far America has fallen. Not saying it's too late, but I am saying we've entered into a critical phrase. As I said last night, the warning shot over the bow of the ship of Zion has been fired. This is where we're at in America, on the edge of tyranny. No safe place to be a Christian. What do we do? Yesterday, we discussed the importance of fire and smoke, and we intercede, we pray. We pray with passion. We stand in the gap for people. That's what we do. But where do we go? Well, you might not like the answer to this one. We're going to go underground. No, I'm not talking of communes and covens and convents and monasteries. I'm not talking about the catacombs and hiding away in caves or distant countries. If history proves anything, that cure of isolation is worse than the sickness, because in that isolation, strange doctrines, behaviors emerge. The church, the church has never done well in a fortress. There are better ways. And that's what I want to discuss with you today. I want to introduce a thought of what to do when the culture is no longer safe to practice your faith. To do that, I need to go back a few years. Let's trace America back in some recent years for decades. Some would say since the 60s, storm clouds have been gathering over America. We watched as the natural family began to break down, encouraged by a lot of things, loss of traditional moral values, uh, divorce rates skyrocketing, passing of government programs, crimes, drugs, the so-called summer of love in the late 60s celebrated free love. Marriage was challenged, bypassed, divorce rates skyrocketed. Then came Roe v. Wade, entertainment group course, prayer in the school was removed by Madeline Murray O'Hare. Yeah, the clouds 
have formed for some time. We fought back, believing that we could make up that ground. I, I, I remember the Christian school movement. It proliferated in response to this. And the culture wars began. The moral majority. People tried to turn the hands of the clock back. And it seemed in certain areas and limited spheres who were successful. But an increasingly secular culture was breathed in and breathed out. And generations never really realized how toxic and pervasive that, that atmosphere was. Nihilism is one of the chief tenets of secularism. Nihilism is summed up in the word whatever and things with value were laid aside for whatever pleased the moment. Mother Earth is all, sec- is all secularists need to practice their religion, don't need heaven, so Earth must be protected. Secularists can build their sandcastles on Earth. To them, only the moment matters, only the material matters, not eternity and not the immaterial. Elections have consequences, and those consequences have been on full display in recent years. One court case after another in the past five years And it's finally dawned on people. There is no safe place to practice our faith. And can we get honest here? Unprecedented number of adult Americans now identify as nuns. Nuns spelled N-O-N-E, meaning no faith. Lennon wrote that anthem, the anthem of the secularist movement. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. Churches across America are closing at record rates. This pandemic threatens so many more. A secularistic mindset has even entered into the religious lives of many in America. In fact, sociologists call it the moralistic therapeutic deism. Here it has five basic beliefs. God, God exists. God wants people. Number two, God wants people to be good and fair to each other. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. Number four, God is there if you got a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. Yeah. There are certain components of truth there. God does exist. God is concerned about us. But God does not exist for us. We exist for God. We we were born to bring him glory. We were born to fulfill his will. Not my will, but thine be done. This secular form of religion has run rampant in our nation and across the world. Themes like suffering, sacrifice, commitment, repentance, oh my, Self-denial, what about having convictions, taking up your cross, the way of the cross? Those themes are minimized in the culture that worships self. Because isn't that, isn't that the hidden deity of secularism? Self, just be happy, please yourself, feel good about yourself, enjoy your best life. Now, not bad people. We know many of them. And if we were in just really frank, we probably all been in those shoes at one time or another. But this this belief system does not change the world. It does not disciple people. But it is ingrained. This God wants me to be happy idea is ingrained in American hearts and spirits. And now, well, the warning shot has been fired across the bow to anyone who can discern and anyone can hear. Now we're praying. We are praying. You see this go by on the bottom of your screen. Continue in prayer. 
God responds to our cries. We're praying. We are believing that God's going to hold back the night and the church will arise. And there is going to be, and I believe this with all of my heart, there is going to be one final awakening. And who knows, this may be the beginning of the shaking that we're going to see. But the world as we know it is passing. We are living in a cataclysmic paradigm shift right now. It's not the end of the world, but it is an end of a world, the end of a safe place to practice your faith. So what do we do? What do we do? I believe that each believer, because you are the church, each of us needs to come to terms with a simple proposition. We cannot remake society and reform our culture through secular means. Would you like me to say that again? You and I need to come to grips with this. We cannot remake society and reform our culture through secular means. We are people of faith, people of prayer. We're not people first of voting and protesting. We as believers, we as believers are going to keep on pray and keep on praying. We're going to exercise our civil rights, but we need to put a focus on building the resistance. The resistance is not going to be just political battles. It's going to be found in true and genuine living out of our faith, in fashioning a radical fellowship, the koinonia of the early Christian church. We've got the early church doctrine. We've got its methodology. What we've missed in these times is, is the framework in which the early church lived. If you want a book of Acts revival, then you and I are going to have to have a book of Acts time frame. And when did the early church turn the world upside down? They lived under an oppressive Roman regime. They lived under intense opposition. You see, the Book of Acts Church had something that we in America have not had. We, we don't have the marginalization from the world as they did. We don't have the marginalization and the threats. Paul described being in perils in the city and the countryside, perils he and other believers faced. Do you remember when Paul said from a Roman jail, all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household? Do you know who was Caesar then? Nero, a wicked man, a megalomaniac, a sociopath. That was the regime that the early church lived under. But, oh, I love that passage. There were saints in Caesar's household. You see, that's where we're moving, folks. We are moving into the resistance, into what I'm calling today the Velvet Revolution. You see, C.S. Lewis said this world is enemy-occupied territory for the believer. He said Christianity is the story of how a king, the true king, came to this world in disguise. And that true king calls for us to take part in the great campaign 
a sabotage. <laughs> That's what C.S. Lewis said, sabotage. The culture war, well, that war came and largely went unfought by the church because we really didn't know how to fight it. Now, you and I need to get a hold of the resources that we've got. We need to practice our faith in radical ways, ways we've never imagined, moving in and out of Caesar's household. We can't be aloof. We can't be isolated. We can't say this doesn't concern me. God is calling us to step into this world stage and to make a difference as innocent lambs but bold as lions, as harmless doves, but wise as serpents. You and I are part of a velvet revolution. We are part of the resistance. We are the secret weapons in the hands of the true king. Oh, for those who think this is subversive or dangerous, I, of course, am not talking about stockpiling using weapons. Our weapons are not bombs and guns, but our worship, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our commitment to live godly and live out our faith in spite of persecution. That's the resistance I'm talking about. Do you remember, do you remember, I get the title Velvet Revolution, I get it from the Eastern Bloc nation of Czechoslovakia. It rose up and claimed its freedom. Uh, It was in the late 80s. They had a mass public rally in the town square. Who were they? They were people who had lived their faith secretly under fear of persecution. Many of them had been jailed for it. Many of them had been isolated. Many of them had been mocked and ridiculed. But on that evening in 1988, they held up candles and they demanded the right to freely worship. And so began the Velvet Revolution when people of faith started standing up. Do you know that within one year, communism fell in that nation? The Czech Republic was born. It's the Velvet Revolution, a peaceful overturning of the powers that are. People of faith rising up and saying, We're not going to tolerate this. We will not be intimidated into silence. You will not put a muzzle on our mouth. People of faith who had a strong commitment one to another. People of faith who would die for each other, take a bullet for one another rather than betray them. People standing shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, and heart to heart. That velvet revolution overthrew the secularist. It did so not by carnal weaponry, not by secular means. Can I just say something? I, I, I've already said, if you want to have a book of Acts revival, you're going to have, the, have to have the context of the book of Acts under the cruelest government known. And in that opposition, they had a revival that turned the world upside down. So one of the things, we've got the doctrine, we've got the methodology, but we just need the oppression. Oh, I don't look forward to that. I'm not some glutton for punishment. That's not what I want. That's not what I desire. But I desire an awakening in this nation more than I desire my personal comfort. I want to see an awakening. We have seen and witnessed the warning shot across the bow. 
Something messed up their world. You, you can just sense it in the last two or three days. It didn't go according to plan because had it gone according to plan, many of the liberties we hold dear would be gone within the first hundred days of the year 2021. Do you know, do you know that prayer is working right now? You are part of a velvet revolution. The, the one thing, the one thing that early church had was oppression. But can I tell you a second thing that we overlook? And that is a sense of brotherhood. They were remarkably united in one mind and one accord. They stood steadfastly together. This is no time. This is no time to deny the faith. And this is no time to isolate yourself from fellow believers. We're going to need one another to stand in this day. You are part of a velvet revolution, not by carnal weaponry. We're going to overcome this. It it, it happened, that velvet revolution, Czech Republic, it happened because people said, we're just not going to take this anymore. This morning, this morning, I'm telling you, leftists are disappointed. Worshippers of progressivism are disappointed. They thought they had gained control of both the executive and legislative branches where they could fully implement, implement their secularist non-God, anti-God progressive agenda, and people of faith would be completely pushed out of the public sphere. And your tax dollars would then be used to take the lives of the unborn. Then what would you and I do? What could we do? We can't be complicit with that. Can't go along with a society that, uh, that goes against God. Listen to me carefully. Their plans have somehow been confused. I believe God's been at work here. I'm not sure how it's happening, but God is at work. Oh, they're still there. They're ready to strike. They're ready to pounce. And I'm telling you, the warning shot has been fired, church. And I am calling the Holy Ghost more than Ken Gurley. The Holy Ghost is calling upon faithful believers. Our true king in disguise is saying it's time. You need to rise up. We don't fight as they fight. We are in a velvet revolution, a nonviolent, peaceful protest that can change the powers and principalities that are. You are the church. It's not just the church you attend, not just the geographical location. You are the body of Christ. You are the one that stands in the gap. You are the one who needs to let your voice be heard. Your presence is is needed now more than ever, needed in Caesar's household. You are the secret weapon of the coming kingdom. You're on assignment by heaven to stand in the gap, to hold to God, to reach for this world. Uh, I'm asking for believers. I'm asking for each of you. I'm asking something great of you. I'm asking, are you and I going to retreat in sanctuaries and hide? We can't do that. You can't hide in the sanctuary. You've got to occupy Caesar's household. It calls for a a radical rethinking of our lives, our families, our homes, our churches. How can we best stand and withstand? How can we be most effective at ministering to a world that's forgotten God? How can we practice our faith in a world that's no longer safe? How can we be true to our mission of reaching people and not isolate ourselves from the people we need to help? These are questions that have got to be answered in the days ahead. And I believe God will give us the wisdom to answer that. But living our faith is what God calls us to do. Don't hide your light under a bushel. We must be who God called us to be, safe 
are unsafe. The time is short and the shadows lengthen. What we do, we must do quickly and we must do decisively. Pray, pray, pray first, pray always, and then pray again and pray some more. That invites heavenly wisdom, wisdom from above that is pure and peaceable. It also prepares you. It prepares you for an unsafe world. It will give you a backbone of steel and a heart of velvet, and then join the velvet revolution. Resist. Stand true. Stand true to your convictions. Speak truth in love. A family member asked me something this week that just sort of set me back. Why didn't the church rise up and resist after Roe v. Wade? And I really had to go back mentally, and I was a, I was a teenager then, but I remembered why. The protests and the riots and the Vietnam War and the civil unrest, the anger, the assassinations. The church was muzzled. The protest was muted. Our voice was not loud enough to cut through the culture. Church, we can't make that same mistake. You and I have got to be stronger than the storm clouds that are rising. We've got to rise up. Welcome to the resistance. Welcome to the velvet revolution. I'm praying his presence upon you today. I'm praying, go be a saint in Caesar's household. Go make a difference in this world. Let your light so shine that they may glorify yours and my God. And then we're going to have a book of Acts revival. We're going to see that final awakening in these last days. Oh, praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Edna, Alicia, and Annette. Thank you. Thank you, Marlene and Mary. Thank you for being a part of this. Share this with others. Invite others into the resistance. Welcome them as I have welcomed you into the Velvet Revolution. Would you take a moment, go around, look, see what God has for you, and let's watch the Lord move in mysterious ways. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of Morning Devotion. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.